0: What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone.
1: Today we continue our series on the Gospel of Luke looking at people who are outsiders, outcasts, and outlaws. We spent our first couple of weeks looking at various women in the gospel. Mary and Elizabeth were pregnant women, vulnerable in a society that did not value them. Yet they showed us that women, young and old, can be part of God's plan. They are the lowly lifted up. Because they belong, they are God's children too, and we must honor and value them as God does. And then last week we heard from a guest preacher, a friend of mine who somehow thinks he's better looking than me. Uh, thank you to all the people who spoke to me after the service and told me the truth, I appreciate that. Uh He shared the story of the sinful woman who anointed Jesus' feet with her hair. He asked us over and over, Do you see this woman? We are all challenged to see others, to acknowledge them even in their pain and grief. Will you love and care for them as Jesus did? Now we... Here, our third topic from the Gospel of Luke, parables from the underside. These are stories that feature what's called the great reversal. It involves the exact opposite of what you would think should happen, and it forces us to reconsider everything about God. Uh, Aaron from our Sunday school program is going to read for us our first passage. It's known as the story of the prodigal son. Uh, then we'll hear two parts of two more parables all flipping the script on us let's hear our first story this is the gospel of luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 25 hear now the word of the lord
0: then jesus said there was a man who had two sons the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of the property that will belong to me so he divided his property between them a few days later the young son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And then he squandered his property in a dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But but the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dance
1: and from Luke 16:22 to the 25 the story of the rich man and Lazarus the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham the rich man also died and was buried In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted and you are in agony. And finally from Luke 18:10 through 14, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Lord, make us an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. When the great reversal finds us, Lord, make us humble of heart. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was a young teen, I had a pretty bad temper. It took a lot to get me angry, but once I was fired up, there was no calming me down. And there was one day, I remember in particular, where I was really angry. I can't remember what it was about, but my parents had told me something I really didn't like. And I had gone into the garage and grabbed a baseball bat. And then I went into the backyard uh, raging. Uh, We had some woods behind our house. And I just started smashing the trees as hard as I could. And then I took the bat and just started pounding the ground. I remember hitting the ground hard enough that the bat was sinking into the ground and pulling up chunks of dirt. It left some pretty obvious marks. Maybe you've been that angry yourself, and I don't think there's anything wrong in and of itself with being angry. Things in life will inevitably make us mad. The problem for me was not only did I take my anger out on nature, later when my dad saw the marks on the trees and the holes in the ground, he asked me if I knew anything about it. Embarrassed at my behavior, I lied and told him I didn't know anything about it. I'm almost certain he knew that it was me, but he never called me out on it. Perhaps he was letting me stew in my lies, but I still remember the incident to this day because I dishonored my father. I let my anger get the best of me, and I tried to cover it up. These days, it seems far more common to call someone out for their bad behavior. It's called call-out culture or cancel culture. People are publicly shamed for their mistakes and then canceled or ignored. The idea is to point out something someone should not have done so they are aware of it and don't do it again in the future. Back before the internet, we just called things like this uh, a boycott of someone's behavior or, or an organization, right? But these days, public cancelings can often veer into toxic territory. The latest I heard about was just last week in Glasgow, England. They had a Wonka chocolate factory tour set up for children, and parents spent a lot of money for this immersive experience based on the movie that came out just a few short months ago. And when they arrived to the tour, they found an empty warehouse with a few props, a bouncy house, and a backdrop pinned against the back wall. Your prize at the end of your Chocolate Factory tour was a few jelly beans and a tiny cup of lemonade. It was awful and left children in tears. People demanded their money back, and then when it was clear how bad everything was, they decided to cancel the event. But they didn't tell the people coming later in the day. It was disaster on disaster, and people are calling for boycotts of this company. You wonder, though, are these kinds of protests really helpful? When someone breaks cultural norms or violates our sense of right and wrong, is that how we should handle it? Should we call someone out and cancel them? Jesus responds to people who are clearly in the wrong. He shows us a way forward. In our first parable, from the underside, the story of the prodigal son, we see a young man who makes some truly terrible decisions with his life. He insults his father by demanding his inheritance early. It would be the equivalent today of telling a parent, I wish you were dead. His father ends up giving him the money anyways, though, and the son goes and wastes it away. That's where we get the word prodigal. It it literally means spending money wastefully or extravagantly. And what does he spend it on? Disillusion. Uh, We don't use words like that today, but it originally meant hopelessly sick. He lived in a way that was so sick, a way that would destroy himself. So we have a young man that is so reckless, so extravagant, he is ruining all hope of a meaningful life. After spending all the money his father earned over a lifetime, he hits rock bottom, eating pig's food, and he thinks to himself, hey, even my dad's servants don't live this bad. Maybe if I go back to him, he will let me live as one of his servants. He goes back, and his father won't accept him as a servant. Instead, he receives him as a son. Despite all the money he's wasted and harm he's done to himself, he is still a son. Now, you can understand why the older brother would be mad at this point, can't you? Even if the younger brother retakes his role in the home as a son, he's still the same person. He's still going to waste money and live foolishly. He may have already brought the family to the edge of ruin, But here's how the story ends. After the older brother complains, the father says, Son, all that is mine is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. This first parable of Jesus from the underside is reminding us that people are more important than possessions and that God is for the prodigal just as much as he is for the faithful servant. The next parable is the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man has everything he could ever need. Lazarus is a poor beggar and can't even eat the scraps from the rich man's table. Both of them die, and to the utter surprise and astonishment of the listeners, it is poor Lazarus up in heaven and the rich man down in Hades. The poor couldn't read and were assumed to be unable to follow the strict observance of the law. The rich, though, were almost always considered blessed by God, and it was assumed that they could easily get into heaven because any bit of charity they offered to another person would add to their own righteousness. So it should be easy for the rich man to make it to heaven, yet that's not what happens here. There's Another story Jesus tells a couple of chapters later about a rich man wanting to know how to follow God. And Jesus tells him to give away everything to the poor. Then he turns to the disciples and says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a literal threading needle than it is for a rich person to get to heaven. It seems like Jesus is saying even having money and helping the poor is not enough. The disciples are aghast. What? If the rich can't get in, then who can? And Jesus says, essentially, when you leave behind the things of this world, you gain so much more, both in this life and in the next. And that's the point. Over and over, when it comes to riches, in a world that prioritizes accumulating material possessions, you have to be willing to give. Don't be stingy. Don't be callous to the needs of others open your heart and help someone. Someone told me about some news this week that maybe you heard about. A woman named Ruth donated $1 billion to a medical school she taught at for years in the Bronx. It will provide free tuition for practically any student who attends. Uh, The thing that sticks out so much about this gift, though, is one, how big it is. It is the third largest gift to a school ever in human history. And two, She didn't ask for anything. She didn't demand a a new president or, or a building to be named after her. It was a gift freely given, no strings attached. I think that's exactly what Jesus is teaching in these parables. Give freely without any demands or requirements. Give because God wants people to know that he loves them, whether they are stuck in addiction, wasting away their money, or are saints that would give a billion dollars away without a second thought. They are all loved by God. I know this is what Jesus is teaching because of our very last parable. Two men are in the temple, both praying to God. One is a Pharisee, a religious leader, and the other is a tax collector who would have been thought of as a traitor to their nation and a literal thief stealing from the little guy. The Pharisee prays to God and saying, Thank you, God, that I'm not a thief or a rule breaker or an adulterer, and I'm definitely not like this tax collector. And he goes on to list the ways that he is righteous with his money. On the other side is the tax collector who would have had a lot of money, but in shame is unable to lift his head to heaven. He beats his chest in repentance and asks God to take away his sin. He is humble. He knows he is wrong and asks to be forgiven. Jesus ends the brief story saying the tax collector went home justified for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. In every story, the person who is supposed to be the bad guy is forgiven, is made right with God. It's not about their money or what society thinks. It's all about the heart. Are they repenting and devoting themselves to God? Will they give up everything for the sake of the Lord? And the same question comes to us today. Will we honor God with what we have? Will we give not just a little money or a little of ourselves to meet societal expectations, but truly give everything to God? Will you give in small ways and in big? Let's end with this. There was a little girl in a Sunday school class. Her teacher was giving a lesson on the importance of serving God and how it shows honor to to God. This girl, Sarah, spoke up asking her teacher what she could do. The teacher looked around and spotted an empty flower vase sitting on a windowsill. She told her, Sarah, you can bring a flower in and put it in that vase. That would be a service. And the little girl frowned and said, but that's not important. And the teacher countered her, saying, if it honors God, it is. Sure enough, next week, Sarah brought in a dandelion and put it in the vase. She did it each week faithfully without any reminders. After a few months, the Sunday school teacher told the pastor, and the pastor put the vase up in the front of the whole congregation and shared a touching message about serving others and honoring God. That same week, Sarah's mother called the Sunday school teacher's spouse, who was a pediatrician. The doctor was told that Sarah had less energy and no appetite, so he made an appointment and saw her. After a battery of tests, the results were tragic. Sarah had leukemia, a kind of cancer in the blood. Nothing could be done for her. As time passed on, Sarah became confined to her bed until finally the mother called the doctor again. He rushed over on a Friday afternoon and saw this small bundle that could barely move. After a short examination, he knew it would be only a little while before she left this world. On Sunday, church started as usual, but thoughts of Sarah were everywhere. As the pastor brought his sermon to a close, he suddenly stopped speaking. He looked to the back of the room, and everyone turned. There was Sarah, bundled in a blanket with a single dandelion in her one little hand. She came to the front of the church and placed the flower in the vase and a piece of paper beside it, then returned to her parents. After the service, people gathered around Sarah to give her all the love and support they could. Four days later, she died. At the cemetery, the pastor saw the Sunday school teacher and afterward went and spoke to her. He handed her the piece of paper Sarah had left behind, and she read in pink crayon a note that said, Dear God, This vase has been the biggest honor of my life, Sarah. In serving others, we honor God. And don't denigrate people you don't think can give much. Their service can add up to the greatest honor to God. We don't cancel people. We are called by God to be on the lookout for ways to affirm God's children. It doesn't matter if they're poor or sick or stuck in the worst kind of sin. God is for them just as much as God is for us. So find a way to honor them with your money, with your time, and with your love. It's the meaning of these parables from the underside. Amen. Amen.
0: For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.